Well, good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Uh, if you're new with us this morning, if this is your first time or uh, maybe it's been a while since you've been here, I just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I want to be honest, though. Um, this Sunday, what we're celebrating today, um, always has a struggle. I really feel like almost every pastor in the world today, or in America at least, has this struggle of how big and exciting and extravagant can we make this service? Because it is going to be our biggest service. Whether you are in from out of town, whether you're just first time visiting for whatever reason, you have graced through our doors this morning. Um, welcome. But I'm not going to try and wow you. Uh, I'm not going to do anything like that. Instead, I want to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, I did not come to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not even to do that with eloquent words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied. And then a couple verses later, he says, my speech and my words, again, were not in eloquent wisdom, but instead in demonstration of the power of the Spirit, so that your faith might not lay in the works of men or in the crazy, cool, judo-spiritual stuff I can do in your head, but instead in the word of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do today is we are just going to lay out the gospel. Whether you have been a believer for 50 years or whether this is your first time to ever step foot in a church, I hope this message speaks to you. I believe it speaks to you. Because what I'm going to talk about, honestly, Dale stole my message this morning and then Gene stole my message in his meditation. And so you're getting third times the charm. We're going to talk about hope. Do you need hope? I mean, really, whenever you look at the world today, I mean, kick on the news station, open up a tabloid, like flip through your phone, whatever it is, and you're going to see that the world is looking for hope. You're going to see that there's so many things going on. You're going to see things like civil unrest, where, I mean, we are the United States of America that is pretty divided, where you're going to go beyond our border and you're going to see that the world, not just the United States of America, but it's a global thing. There is global unrest going on. You're going to see that there's wars going on. You're going to see that there's threats of wars going on. You're going to see that there's famine, that there's food shortages. You're going to see like struggles. You're going to see trials. You're going to see death is still claiming 100% of its victims. They haven't found a cure for it yet. That all people are still going to die. And that's all like overseas, that's hitting us close to home. You're going to see that here in America, suicide is the highest that it's ever been. Drug and alcohol addiction are the highest that they've ever been. Crime may not be the highest, but it's definitely teetering on the level of being the highest that it has ever been. And you're left with the question when flipping through it all, what's the hope where in the world am I going to find hope? Because man, honestly, it feels like this world is going crazy. And I see this person take office either locally or globally and it doesn't seem to change. And I'm going to place my hope in this thing and it doesn't seem to help. So where is the hope? And that's why we gather, not just today. And even it's not found in today, April 17, 2022. But instead it's found almost 2,000 years ago. When Jesus Christ came and he gave his life so that we could not have a day of hope, but that we could have a life of hope that goes beyond anything we will ever experience. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. 
a hope found in the life of Jesus. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to ask if, in honor of reading the Word of God, if you will just stand as we read that, we'll say a prayer, and then you may be seated. So Paul, he's telling us, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Can I get an amen? amen. I never ask for those, but man, that felt like the right spot. If you'll join me in a word of prayer. Father God, you are so good. God, uh, death has been defeated. Sin has been overcome. God, we have a hope beyond everything, but God, it's still, there's so much going on that we allow ourselves to be distracted by what's going on. And so I pray that not just here for these next 30 to 45 minutes, God, but for the rest of our life, this message speak to us. That we be a people of hope found in your word and your word alone. And who you are and the price that Jesus paid for us. God, speak to us here and now, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Amen. So I mentioned we're going to be talking about hope. That's really the theme of today's message. But in order to get to the hope, we need to be reminded of where our hope is found. Because our hope is not going to be found in anything that we can do. Okay, so say for example that you are wanting to place hope in your own physical body. So for example, I'm 34 years old. I have been working out for the past five years. I have been training for a half marathon for the past four months, uh, more like three. So I would say I'm pretty much the healthiest I've ever been in my life. But in the training, I got a stress fracture in my foot. And then on top of that, I found out I have high blood pressure to the extent that somebody is threatening to put me on pills if it doesn't get under control, which is like get rid of coffee and salt, which are my two favorite things. My hope was in my body. And now my body is failing me. And to be honest, my body started failing me the moment I entered life. The moment I entered this earth, I was on a one-way path to death. So is every single person. Our prime is maybe the best we're ever going to feel, but our bodies are going to let us down. So why put our hope in our bodies? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you think, well, mine's not in my body, but man, I got a pretty good career right now. I have my dream job. Or maybe it's not that, but your thought is, if I can get that job, if I get that promotion, then everything will be okay. Then I will be set for life. Ever hear a Blockbuster? It was in the early 2000s, like the epitome of home entertainment. I mean, it ran the gamut of if you wanted to watch a movie at home, you went to Blockbuster. Now there's not a single Blockbuster that's open today. Toys R Us had a quarter. They owned a quarter of all the production and all the distribution of toys worldwide, not just in America. And a couple years ago, they went out of business. They went bankrupt. So here these people are thinking, we have arrived. We've got the largest industry. We have it all. We are the epitome of it. And then they're shutting down. Redbox replaced Blockbuster, and it's going the way of the buffalo as online streaming starts to come. 
And so even that, which is like, we have the solution, somebody else came up with a better plan. And now those people are out of business. And it's like, well, hey, I did my career. I'm about to retire. I got my hope set in that. My 401k, one, 401k, it's been, that's what I have is a 401k one. It's not working. But uh, my 401k has been increasing. It's looking a whole lot better. 2008 should have taught us, don't place your hope in the stock market or in your retirement or in anything like that. Because it is going to leave you empty. Maybe you're wanting to place it in your own accomplishments. Yeah, but look at all that I've done. Look at what I'm able to do. Here's the thing. I would say the number one thing that you can control in your life is your body. That is pretty much what you can control. It's like you can try and control your car going down the road, but they're getting pretty smart and also pretty dumb at the same time. And it could just veer you off the road at no time. Like, that's the thing. So say you're putting your hope in your abilities and like, God, listen, I've measured up. When I get to heaven, God, I'm going to tell you all the good that I've done. I gave, I served, I donated. I did all of this. I read, I studied, I memorized, I did all of this. But even that we don't have control over. And honestly, I would go so far to say that my own abilities condemn me more than they tell me that I'm doing a good job. Paul, he wrote so much of the New Testament. He even says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He's like, you know what? There's this good that I want to do, and I find out that I'm not doing it. And then there's these bad things that I'm really trying not to do, and I keep on doing them. And he goes with this little struggle through the next couple verses where it's like the good I'm wanting to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And then he wraps it up in verse 24 where he's like, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? So imagine, you, I mean, you don't even have to imagine. We've all been there. Where we're telling God, God, I'll do better. I'll try harder. God, give me another chance and I'll make it up to you. I will, I will strive and I will work my tail off until I achieve it. And then we find out that we fail. And we're right back where we started. Anybody who's ever tried healthy eating knows exactly what I'm talking about. Where you're like, I'm not going to eat any sugar. And then that delicious long john with angel cream filling because it's just so heavenly comes in front of you. And you're like, I haven't even wanted one of those, but now I do. The moment I said, I don't want sugar, I want that. Let's go a little bit deeper. The moment you said, I'm no longer going to be angry. God, I'm going to control my temper. And then your kid lips back to you. And you're like, oh my goodness, the unrighteous anger is coming out of me. It's not righteous. It's that, why did I act like that? Or you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend more time with my family. And then you realize, wait, more and more people are asking for my time, so I'm not able to be with my family. Or I'm going to spend less time on my phone, and then it's like, oh, wait, I got to look up this. Oh, I just spent two hours scrolling through social media. Or I'm not going to look at images on my device. And then it's like, oh, but I'm, I'm just feeling it. It's eating me alive. Paul knows exactly what we're talking about. He's like, the very thing I want to do, I'm not doing. And the thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Pretty much saying, where's our hope? Where's the hope going to come from? Because it's not in myself, because I fail myself daily. It's not in other people, because other people are going to fail me daily. It's not in my career. It's not in my possessions. It's not in my money. Where's it going to come from? 
That's why we gather. And I don't even think it's why we gather weekly. I think it's why we need to be gathering daily. We need to be getting together either social or technology makes it easy to send people reminders. Hey, this is where your hope comes from. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. We're left with if Christ Jesus has not been raised from the dead, you are still in your sins and you are above all people most to be pitied. But then he says, but... In Christ, but Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Right there. If you want to know where hope comes from, that right there. It is the very basis of our hope. It is what we need to be recalling to our mind 24-7 on a daily basis, like as uh, both Dale and Gene has said. Things are going to get bad. We're going to go through struggles. We're going to go through trials. We're going to be asking, where's my hope? And we remind ourselves, my hope is not found in my circumstances. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has conquered the grave. My hope comes from God. Not from anything this world has to throw at me. It comes from the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because at that moment, sin was conquered, death was defeated, and the victory was won. You see, at the cross of Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for our sins. But at the cross of Jesus, the love of God was poured out to all mankind through the sacrifice that Jesus paid. But at the grave, and the fact that it's empty at this moment, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it reveals it was all accepted. Because innocent people have died for guilty people before. It's, it's not an uncommon thing. There are people who will give their life for somebody that's guilty and they did not commit that crime. But they were not raised from the dead. Their penalty was not paid for all mankind. When Jesus, a perfectly innocent man, gave his life for all mankind, he died. He was buried for three days and then on that third day he rose, revealing that the penalty and the payment for our sin had been totally paid by Jesus on the cross. It had been accepted. So to understand what hope we have, we have to remember where our hope comes from based solely on the work of Jesus and on the fact that the tomb is empty. If you are placing it in anything else, it's a 0% chance of hope. You have no hope. If Jesus is still dead, if Jesus just hung on the cross, died, and was buried, we still have no hope. But today we celebrate the fact that our hope is greater than any hope there is out there. Because as Paul ended, he was like, man, the thing I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The thing I want to do, I don't do. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And then he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, right away, he says, but thanks be to God who through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2 that it's because of the great love with which God had for us. Because he was rich in mercy. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says that for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so then Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Why? Because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, because of what Jesus did, he gave his life, and then because he was raised from the dead, we don't stand condemned before God. We get to stand before God and we get to have an eternal hope in unity with Christ. We've been set free by the blood of Jesus. Now here's the thing that a lot of people, uh, it's becoming very popular to tell a lie at this moment. That if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to work out great You'll get the girl or the boy, you'll get the car, you'll get the house, you'll get the job, you'll get the retirement, everything will turn out great. That's a lie. If anybody ever says giving your life to Jesus is super easy and you'll never have any difficulties, you're following the God of comfort, not the God in the Bible. Because Jesus actually tells us that we're going to have struggles, that we're going to have difficulties, that all of that is actually going to come because we give our life to Jesus. I mean, he's pretty much saying, follow me and you're going to be persecuted. Follow me and the world's going to hate you. Follow me and you're going to look kind of weird. Follow me and it's going to be worth it. Because you have a hope beyond this world. Notice that part. Beyond this world. It's kind of like when you see the struggles that you're going through, and then you see the eternal glory that you have waiting for you on the other side. It's like you can make it through it. It's like if you're having surgery and here you are, you're about to get cut up. You're about to have a bone part removed. You're about to have something else put in you. You're about to have some crazy freaky stuff done with the medical world and it's going to hurt. And then you start rehab, which almost hurts even worse as this physical therapist is like, now been this way, which you're not supposed to, but they make you. So it's going to be painful, but you think I can get through this. I know I can make it because I know there's something waiting for me on the other side. I know there's a good life or a better life waiting for me on the other side. Same thing with our struggles. Yeah, we're going through struggles. They're going to happen. But when you have the eternal perspective of a life with God waiting for you, it's like, man, I can go through this. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says these light and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal glory. In Romans 8, 18, he says that I'm not even going to compare these struggles with the eternal glory that's coming on. He's not downplaying our struggles. He's not like, hey man, you know what? You're really going through nothing. What he's saying is God is so much greater. He's not downplaying your struggles. He is elevating who God is and the hope and the peace and the promise that we have in him. These struggles that we are going through, he's not even going to compare to the eternal glory. And it's like Paul is coming alongside of us and saying, hey, I've been there. It's going to be okay. It's like this. So for example, uh, recently I've been given plasma. I found out they're going to give you a pretty good chunk of change for your plasma. So I was like, deal, take it all. 
So I started going and giving plasma, and then I realized I had two problems with giving plasma. I don't like needles. Okay, I got one problem. I don't like needles. I didn't like it. And you get stuck twice. They're going to stick your finger, and then they're going to stick your arm. And it was like, man, is this really worth it? And so, like, I go in, and they're getting ready to check my blood, and I'm like, ooh, like, being really tough, but, like, on the inside. And they stick me. I bleed. I'm not perfect. And then they take my blood, and then I go, and they stick my arm, and after an hour, it's like, man, like, they stuck me really bad one time, and it hurt. And I was like, I'm done. And as I'm leaving, I'm looking at the app that tells me how much money I have. And I'm like, when can I give again? I'm ready. Because I saw the the reward that was on the other side. I was able to go through it because I saw that the eternal glory waiting, which wasn't even eternal, but the, the money waiting was better. And so it's like now if somebody else were coming alongside of me and they were like, man, I'm like, I'm freaked out of needles. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to get so rich off of it. They'll give you like 20 bucks. It's going to be great. And then they'll give you $100 the next time. Bring in the cash. But I'm like, hey, you can do it. It's just a little prick. It's just a little pain. And then you get money. How much more should believers be like, hey, I know you're suffering. I know it hurts. I know it's hard, but it is a blink of an eye compared to the eternal glory you're going to have. Our hope is not in this moment. Our hope is not in our circumstance. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And Paul is coming alongside us and saying, I know it hurts. I know it's hard. It doesn't even compare to what you're about to receive. When you breathe your last breath here, but then you enter eternity with God. We have a hope. So much so that Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, 28, he says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. And again, it's like, yeah, I know when I win the lottery, God's going to work that for the good. Or when I get the new car or I meet the dream girl or whatever it is. Yeah, God was working in that. Notice Paul right before that in verse 18 said, these struggles today don't even compare. He's not talking about the highs. He's talking about being in prison and saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. He's saying when you're in famine, when you're in need, when you are at rock bottom, he is saying God will work that out for the good. For the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And really, it's, I mean, I'm with y'all if this is the thought that you have. Really? Really? Paul? Really? All things? Everything, you know what happened last week? You see that mass shooting a couple weeks ago, God? You see, you see the struggles that I'm going through daily? You know what goes on up here? Really, Paul? God works all things for the good of those? Let's look back three days ago. Where Jesus, the perfect man, gave his life for a world that was going to reject him. Pretty dark. If you would have asked his disciples, they'd have been like, nah, no idea how this is going to work out for the good. Like, he said he's raising again, but it hasn't happened. Like, really, God? You're going to take that darkest moment in history and work that out for the good of those who love you? Yes, he is. Look at today. Three days later, the grave is empty. 
Because God works all things, even the death of his firstborn, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according, according to his purpose. So much so that Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, he says, So, therefore, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? Christ Jesus. Well, he was died. He died and was buried and he was raised. He's now at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. Who's going to separate you from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, I'm convinced, it's a matter of fact, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who's going to separate us from God? Nobody. Who's going to remove the hope that I have? Absolutely nothing. Because it is found in Jesus. And so here, here's a thought real quick, though, that I want to dwell on for a moment. Paul just said in Romans seven fifteen that he condemns himself daily. I condemn myself daily. Like, no, don't dwell on that, and then I dwell on it. Like, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. I condemn myself daily. Now, I'm pretty hard on myself, but I'm pretty easy on my punishment. I like, I like a little bit of mercy. If I condemn myself daily, how much more would a perfect, holy, and just God condemn me? But he doesn't. Notice Paul asked that in verse 34. He says, Who's who is going to condemn you? He goes on to say, Christ Jesus, because really Christ Jesus is the only one to condemn. And if I were writing this, I might be like, yes, he did. He said, send them all to hell because they're sinners. Me too. But he doesn't. He says, Christ Jesus, he died. He died to set you free. On top of that, he was raised and he's seated at the right hand of God. And now he's condemning you. He's back with God. He's condemning you. No, he's not. It says he's interceding for you. He is going to bat on your behalf. He is fighting for you. He's not saying condemn them. He's saying my blood covers them. We have relationship with them because they are ours. But it's not just a hope for a time after this life. You have a hope here and now. Because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, he says, Remember you therefore that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants and you were without God and you had no hope in this world. And then he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not you're going to be brought near, you are near. You have a hope here and now. He says in verse 18, Therefore we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now. Not someday. Now. You have a hope here and now. In our present circumstances. 
Because Jesus conquered the grave, you can conquer your current circumstances with the power that God gives you. Paul says this in Ephesians or in Philippians 4.13, popular verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can make it through anything. But even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, even if you don't get the healing that you want, even if you don't get the promotion, even if you don't make another dollar, even if you lose everything, God is still good. And you have a hope in that moment. As Gene said, quoted by Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That we can make it through those circumstances. Paul knew all about this because Paul's doing ministry for God. And in 2 Corinthians, he is spilling out his heart of, I've actually gone through a lot of hard things. Like Philippians is the book of joy. Corinthians is the book of sorrows. And he's just like, man, like I have toiled and I have struggled and I have, I just have this constant pressure for the church. And then he says, on top of all of this, I have this little annoyance, this messenger from Satan, this thorn in my side. And I have pleaded and I have begged with God to remove it from me. And you know what God says three different times? 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to remove it, but instead in that weakness, my power is made perfect. So I'm going to be with you through it all. And even in that heartache, which may not leave you, you have a hope. Lean in on me. God is good no matter what. And as long as Jesus has conquered the grave, which is going to be forever we have a hope that never leaves us empty. We have that hope. So what we're left to do is change our perspective. We need to remember where our hope is found. We need to hold fast to the hope. And honestly, that's the last part. Change your perspective. Because the writer of the psalm in Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2, he's like, I'll lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He says, I'm going to look up. I'm not going to look down. I'm going to look up to God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that if we are going to run this race, Hebrews 12, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and sin that easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. But it's hard. And I'm getting tired of running right now, God. How do I do this? You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's the command? Stand firm in the hope that you have. Stand firm because the world is going to try and sway you. The world's going to come at you with, really, God's in control? Look what's going on. He must not be in control. Really, God's going to work this out for good? I don't know how. It's looking pretty grim. Can you really trust God? And we are told to stand firm in that. You've made a declaration of faith. You said, Jesus is who I'm going to build my house on. Yeah, Jesus actually does a really good job of telling a story about this. He says there was a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the waves came and the storms raged and the winds blew and that house collapsed. 
Sand is anything you build your life on other than Jesus. Because then he says that the wise man built his house on the rock and the same winds raged, the same waves raised, the same storm blew, but the house stood firm because it was built on the rock. Stand firm in who Jesus is and who you have placed your hope in. Stand firm. Because Paul says this at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but thanks be to God who through Christ Jesus we have victory. And then he says in verse 58, therefore my beloved, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, hold firm. Whatever's coming your way, stand strong. Don't lose the faith. Keep the hope that goes beyond your circumstances and sees the eternal glory. It's hard, but God is so much better and the glory that you have is not even going to compare. It is but a vapor in the wind right now compared to the eternity that you are going to experience. You see, James He's actually the writer of Hebrews. He tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then James tells us actually whenever we're going through these trials, consider it pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness. And then he says, let steadfastness run its course so that you may be mature and complete, that you may not lack anything. He says, but if you do lack Ask for wisdom, who gives generously to all with reproach, and it will be given him. But let him not doubt, let him ask in faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Stand firm, hold the faith, do not doubt. God is good no matter what. And because Christ is victorious, we too can be victorious. Because again, Jesus told us, John 16, as he's about to depart to go be betrayed and crucified, he says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So much so that Paul is able to say in Romans eight thirty seven, actually, through all these things, through tribulation and trial and sword and danger and persecution, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Stand firm. The world's not going to throw hope your way. And if they do, it's a sandy hope. Build your hope on the rock that is Jesus. And so, Christians, how are you doing at living with hope? How are you doing with fighting the way that the world is going and wanting to just be that person that is just like, oh my goodness, like the sky is falling, chicken little. What's going to happen? We're, we're doomed. Like, I don't know. Maybe somebody else will take over and they'll be the answer. They're not. Oh my goodness, this is going so bad. Christian, you should have a peace and a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. Are you? Are you living with the hope that you have? Now, if you're an unbeliever, yeah, you, good luck. You have no hope, but it is offered here and now. Actually, it was offered 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave his life for you. When God raised him from the dead and now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he is saying, come to me. If you want hope, come to me and I will give you hope. It is found only in the person of Jesus. 
It's not in fancy gimmicks. It's not in fog machines or fancy lights or anything like that. Jesus, he had a large crowd following him. And they were like, hey, Jesus, we ate the bread. What else you got for us? And Jesus was like, you follow me because of what you have seen. I need you to follow me for who I am. And they all left, except for the twelve, where Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have tasted and seen that you are the Holy One of God. We're going to believe in you. We left everything for you, Jesus, and it's worth it. It's not found in anything else. It is found simply in the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish. No matter what this world throws at you, you have a hope and an eternal life. And John, or Jesus says in John 17, 3, this is what that eternal life is. That you may know God, that you may know God and his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's eternal life, relationship with God. That is hope, relationship with God. So we're going to close with a song, and it's called The Simple Gospel. And it, it really is kind of repetitive, but I pray that this is the prayer that you have, where the words to it say, I want to know you more. I want to know you more than myself. I want to know you more than my friend. God, I want to know you. I'm laying down everything and I'm coming to you. Whether you have never received Jesus or this is your 3,000th service to attend, let this be our prayer. God, may we know you more. Father God, that is our prayer. That you have made the way for us to know you through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that it's not that we have a hope in this life only, but God, we have an eternal glory. And God, there are stories of pain, stories of sorrow, and stories of heartache in this room. Maybe past, maybe present, and they're going to come. And God, I thank you for the stories of hope found in you. And then I pray for those who are struggling, God. May we all fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. God, let us see you and let us know you more. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this.